We know that this was a huge sort of electric shot through the organized crime world, uh, especially in Europe, uh, the Incrochat bust. But two years down the line, what impact has this had on organized crime? This electric shot was a drop in the ocean, really, compared to the larger sort of more tectonic movements of global cocaine production and global demand for that drug. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The EncroChat phone hack was described as a game changer for law enforcement in its fight against organised crime. And two years on, the criminal cases are still flooding into the courts in the UK and in Europe. This week, arrests were made of those described as the creators and the facilitators of the network in Spain, in Dubai and in the Dominican Republic. But what have the effects of the hack been and what big players and gangs did police manage to take down over the course of the past 24 months? Did EncroChat do anything to stop the trade in cocaine or is the flood of white powder from Colombia greater than ever? Today, I'm talking with Vice World News Global Drugs Editor Max Daly about the arrests and convictions of some of the major players in organised crime and about the ability of cocaine's supply and demand to evade everything thrown at it. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. June 2020 really marked a massive panic in the underworld um, when the news broke that EncroChat, their phone system of choice, had been hacked by the police. I mean, it was the worst case scenario for the criminals, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it was It literally, um, it was their worst nightmare, um, realising that um, police were listening in on their supposed secret um, deals and, and, and chit-chat. Mm. Remind me sort of to what extent EncroChat was used and exactly what it was. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think supposedly around 60,000 um, users of EncroChat around the world. I think most people were, were based in, in Europe, uh, most users, um, and as supposedly 10,000 of them were based uh, in in the UK. Um and yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, EncroChat was one of the biggest sort of encrypted messaging networks for used by criminals. Um, there were there were some other networks like Sky um, and other other ones that have been since uh, cracked into by police. But I think um, EncroChat was was one of the biggest. Um, and you can see from you know uh, the evidence that police gathered that there were criminals, criminal networks communicating over EncroChat from all over the world um, uh, about, you know, quite often about drug trafficking deals, actually, to be honest. Um, There were other things people were talking about plotting to murder, uh, you know, um, all all sorts of crime, money laundering. But I think um, from what from what the evidence shows is that there are a lot of people, a huge amount of traffic on EncroChat of people chit chatting about drug deals, in particular cocaine deals across the world. Mm. And in the past, criminals would have had to kind of maybe meet in airport lounges or, you know, 
follow distracted routes to to coffee shops where they would, you know, double back on themselves a number of times before they'd sit, whisper in corners and darken corners to do their business. But the innovation of mobile technology was really something that allowed them talk very openly. They felt completely bulletproof and it, it has to have... Um, increased the amount of criminal traffic because it lessened the the difficulty for them to do their business. Yeah, I mean it, it was it was um that was part of the reason why they were um that their their sort of confidence in uh, how secure their network was was also their vulnerability. So because they were so sure that this was um, way, way more secure than any of their usual ways of talking, um, you know, over mobile phones or um, WhatsApp or, or whatever, or, or, you know, or even, so, you know, whatever way of communicating. They were so confident that, that they were safe in doing this that they, they were extremely open uh, in what they were talking about. Uh, you know, huge amounts of money involved, huge amounts of drugs as I said, murder plots, you know, things that can get these people and did get these people uh, locked up for, you know, up to 30 years in prison. They were that they were sort of happy to to talk openly uh, on EncroChat about all this stuff. Yes, I mean, some criminals use a bit of kind of coded words and slang, but I mean, this is all extremely easy for people to um, to, to understand what they're talking about. It's not exactly rocket science, um, understanding what these people are talking about. So the, the sort of the, the few coded words um, slung in there every now and then were completely ineffective. But yeah, they, they, I mean, they, they, they were talking incredibly openly, which was obviously what opened them up to such a huge intelligence coup by the police. Mm, and this was a, a Dutch and French police collaboration and they were listening in pretty much for nearly two months before they moved in. Um, I think anything that was imminent regarding a murder or a hit, the police in the various countries that were involved. Now, the, the, the Dutch and the, the French were passing on information to, um, you know, to the UK, to Ireland, to France, to wherever they were, they were uh, picking up the intelligence. And they were kind of stopping murders happening. But by and large, they were trying to sit back, build the intelligence, find the locations. And in many cases, I believe that uh, the criminals were literally talking in postcodes instead of codes, that they were actually giving details of the locations of warehousing and various things like that. So in June, the message is sent out from EncroChat to its users to basically tell them, ditch your phones, we've been hacked, and it's the police who are up on the system. So panic ensued. But just from that immediate um Arrests, and I'm, we're we're talking today because you have gone back two years later to consider the the long term effects of it, but also you know what the success of it is. So, firstly, when they did move in that June on a number of gangs and on hundreds of criminals in the Netherlands, they found um, a huge amount of gangs moving drugs, and they also I thought what was most shocking was the torture lab, of course, that they found. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. On that initial, so they, so they received the the, the EncroChat users received a message a message in June saying, "Look, the, the system's been compromised." Um, I think the initial message actually said that it had only been compromised for for several hours, 
rather than the truth, which was actually two months. Um, so you would have thought that the, the the criminals receiving that message would have been absolutely gutted to, to see that, but we thought, uh, we'll probably be okay maybe because... Um, you know that they've only got kind of maybe you know a couple of hours of 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 chit chat, so we'll probably be okay. Anyway, you know, but you know, uh, as we now know, the police had access to to a lot longer uh, chat than that, and they launched a huge amount of raids over the end of June and uh, the beginning of July, uh, which was all announced on July the second. So that's why you know we're almost nearly two years two years ago now. Um, and, you know, huge wave of arrests uh, across the UK. I think over 700 uh, arrests, um, a lot of drug seized. I think they found a, uh, something like 40 million um, itizalam pills. That's, that's sort of like fake Valium that, that is very popular in, in Scotland, actually. So they, they discovered a huge itizalam factory in Kent in the south of England. As you say, they found this very grim torture chamber that had been set up by Dutch gangsters to torture rival uh, dealers. Um, it had been set up in a, a, a shipping container um, uh, in Holland uh, and it, it complete with a sort of a dentist chair and pliers and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, it, yeah, it was, it was an absolute tsunami of of arrests and the same goes there was a you know, similar number of uh high number of arrests in in the netherlands and france and and germany um and that was the first kind of big hit from from police and obviously they were they were crowing about it you know as as they sort of should have done really i mean you you had quotes from uh, senior, you know, um, the National Crime Agency's uh, Nikki Holland, uh, she used to be the head of investigations there, I think, saying, you know, this was like cracking the Enigma code. Um, you had uh, the former um, head of the Met saying, you know, this is a game changer. Um, and, a, and a Dutch, a senior Dutch officer saying that, you know, it was like sitting at the table of the criminals, you know, the managing to look at all this, these messages going past. So it was an unprecedented, as I said, intelligence coup. And those, yeah, in the beginning of January and end of June 2020, those, this was the initial wave of um, arrests and raids using the intelligence from EncroChat, which, as you said, was very detailed. You know, we are going to deliver it at this place at this time. Here's the photo. You know, it was it was almost too much information for the police because they had, I think, every day the um, the EncroChat data was kind of almost there was an EncroChat data dump uh, on the uh, National Crime Agency and other police forces, so that who would then, as quickly as possible, try and get through as much data as possible to try and find the most sort of juicy crimes, I guess, and the most um, emergency crimes like people planning murders. Inexplicably, the Irish Guardi didn't move on any of the information. They just held it as intelligence and, uh, you know, haven't really given much of an explanation for that other than they believed that maybe it wouldn't stick in court. But I think two years on, while we will talk about, um, you know, the, the wider picture of particularly cocaine in Europe and how it probably hasn't affected the supply of that. I think that the UK figures two years on are really quite extraordinary. Um, 
With all those arrests, you've had people coming before the courts nearly every week in the UK. Um, you only have to type in EncroChat to Google and you'll see cases popping up all over the country. Um, you have up-to-date figures from last month on the convictions and, you know, the pending court cases. Can you just give us an idea of, of how it's looking? Yeah, so, so the most recent... Um Figures from the National Crime Agency uh, on EncroChat-related uh, enforcement. We've got so far two thousand eight hundred and sixty-four people arrested um, since uh, that big wave of um, busts started in in twenty twenty. Um, which so you know nearly three thousand people arrested, which is huge. You got um, one thousand five hundred and seventy-one people charged, uh, three hundred and eighty-three convicted, um, and they also see see seventy-seven million pounds in cash, twenty tons of drugs, one hundred and seventy firearms, and three thousand four hundred rounds of ammunition. Um, so, I mean, as I said, you know, in the piece that I wrote, you know, it, that's that's a big bite. From, from the police, that's nothing to be sort of sniffed at um, in terms of uh, a very, very unique, you know, wave of enforcement. And, you know, and what could be described as a big win for the police. You know, at, at the time, you could, uh, the, the police saw the criminals, you know, and over the two months when they were, t- when they were talking on EncroChat, they could see them sort of panicking, going, shit, you know, this is, <clears throat> this is, this is heavy stuff. The police are winning. Uh, it's a disaster. Um, so, as I said, you know, it was a huge wave of arrests. Um, mm. uh, it was a big, it was a massive get for police. But obviously, you know, um, that might not necessarily mean that um, it shook things up enough to, for example, uh, mess up the drug trade. Just going back briefly to those figures, so 3,000 arrests. I read in your piece that there's um, more than 4,000 gangs identified across the UK and 30,000 members of the criminal underworld sort of identified. Now, look, those figures are always, you know, they're not totally accurate, but you're talking 3,000 arrests, so that's a a tenth of... uh, what's out there so and presumably the arrests were focused on the bigger players or as as much as they certainly could within the the, the quick time that the intelligence was coming in yeah i mean i mean th- these were because obviously the question is you know who were the anchor chat users and, and were were all these you know um almost you know were these huge amounts of arrests were they of any old idiot drug dealer <clears throat> or were they of of you know, career criminals, you know, key players. And, I, and, you know, I think, you know, obviously, you know, to, to get involved in EncroChat, it costs about two £2,000 for a, for a handset. Um, you know, um, okay, it's not too expensive, but, you know, you need to be sort of, you know, have a little bit of money to get 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 it started off. And I think there's a kind of a regular subscription of a f- fairly decent amount of, of money. It's not like getting a normal mobile phone. Um, so, 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 and I and I think most of the people who have anal- analysed this um, uh, do say that that a lot of the people who have been um, prosecuted by uh, the, the law enforcement were the sort of serious players. So, I mean, I, I haven't seen too many EncroChat court cases involving some guy selling a bit of heroin to a homeless person in a street in Middlesbrough. You know, these are all, these are all, you know, um, you know, 
people involved in multiple, multiple kilos of, of drug trafficking uh, or, or serious violence. You know, these are people making big, big money. Um, you know, there was this one guy who was caught up. Um, I mean, this also seemed to be a, a lot of people from Merseyside um, mm-hmm. picked up via EncroChat, by the way. I don't know if that's something you spotted, but it seemed to be like, um, you know, almost sort of every other one uh, of the EncroChat um, uh, bus seems to be of some serious sort of coke dealer or, or violent criminal in, um, uh, in in living in Mersey, Merseyside. I mean, there was this one guy uh, from Liverpool who was who was a guy who, who used to uh, be a professional acid thrower. So he would obviously you got a hitman or whatever, but this guy was a hitman but with acid. So he would charge ten thousand pounds for blinding someone in the face with acid um he, he was he was picked up and then you got this kind of a, a gang from derby who were making 400 grand a day um smuggling 165 million of cocaine from dubai to the uk and they got sentences of uh totaling 167 years uh, after uh, after saying too much on on encro chat so i think um what i think i have heard people say that um Hey, look, you know, they, they were just picking up any old people. But I think in truth, I think they were really focusing. Why wouldn't you? They were focusing their efforts and their, and their limited resources. Um, cause the police don't have that much money compared to the criminals, um, in reality. Um, so they were focusing their limited resources on getting the, trying to pull out the biggest players from the market. Um, but saying that, um, I, a few people I spoke to said that the real uh, key players in the global trafficking trade, um, the Mr. Biggs, as they used to be called, um, you know, even though it's not so much for a pyramid system in the drug trade these days, it's a lot more Mr. Middles in the drug trade these days. But um, I think some of the, the really big players, I think, probably did evade EncroChat arrests um as uh tony saggers a former nca uh head of investigation told me um a lot of them were abroad anyway they they were sort of out of out of range um out of extradition uh uh treaties so they were kind of living in uh, places like say pakistan and thailand and dubai um and and they sort of stayed away from from uh the big load of busts and also others have been saying that some of the real big players wouldn't go anywhere near EncroChat um, because they saw it as far too much of a of a liability. Maybe the more old-fashioned criminals who uh, believe in the old ways would have never trusted technology and perhaps they're right. Um, uh, Jonathan Gordon, who was your acid attacker, was jailed for life um, for his crimes I'm presuming, given that sentence, there was a trial and he pleaded not guilty. So the evidence actually was accepted by a jury. Yeah, um, I, th- I think this was um, uh, maybe a, a rarer case of where um, these um, EncroChat uh, prosecutions um, ended up with someone pleading not guilty. Because I think it seems that quite a lot of um, the people prosecuted um, for EncroChat, um, certainly in terms of drug trafficking, seem to um, uh, plead guilty straight away. I'm not mm. quite sure why that 
why that was, um, because obviously there has been challenges over the use of EncroChat intelligence as uh, de facto evidence. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like jo- Gordon challenged it, but but in the end, the jury decided that um, there was enough evidence using EncroChat to, to find him guilty. Yeah, I mean, certainly when you peruse the court cases that uh, are linked to EncroChat, and obviously there's many of them that are just going through the courts that we don't, you know, we, we can't identify because the reporting on them isn't too detailed, but a lot of them just pleaded guilty because they were kind of caught red-handed, Max, weren't they? They were, you know, when they moved in sometimes, the cops literally found them with their hands on the guns or the drugs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's it because because obviously there was intelligence from EncroChat saying we're going to do this, we're doing that, we're you know all this talk. But obviously, if the police could then use that talk to target a raid uh, and grab the biggest stash possible, then that's that was where the kind of the 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 intelligence from EncroChat turned into extremely solid evidence, um, and where. They probably did think, look, it, it, we've we've been caught completely red-handed. Um, what what's you know what's the you know, it, not only on EncroChat talking about it, but physically caught with the drugs, you know, um, hook, line, and sinker. So a lot of people, I think, did just plead guilty in in order to to get the benefit of that and get themselves a lesser sentence because they know what they're doing when they get to court. The Netherlands too I think has seen some big players brought in Piet Costa you mentioned in your case um was a serious gang boss over there. Yeah, yeah, I mean I I know I know you've written about him before and and you know he was he is this sort of mysterious sort of shadowy figure in the in the Dutch underworld which who has been linked to lots of um drug trafficking but also uh potentially uh potent, a lot of potential murder uh cases um of 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 rivals uh and I think you know he's he's age 50 he's he's a fairly sort of old school guy um and I think the police had had some you know real problems nailing him but like so many people, other people, um, he was he was nailed through through EncroChat, um, mm. and he did get a. I think he got fifteen years for his uh, drug trafficking. Uh, the evidence they had on him uh, for his drug trafficking business, but also an extra couple of years, I think, for um, setting up this torture chamber which wasn't actually used but it was set up in readiness to be used i mean i suppose considering these successes we have to sort of evaluate as much as we can you know what it means to break down a drug cell because most of these gangs work in cells they're bringing in drugs they have their logistics people etc so taking out a cell um you know has knock-on effects for the years going forward that these guys are in prison and also some of these killers you have to consider how many other victims would there have been had they been out on the streets they all serve a sentence and will get back out again many of them will try and get back into crime but um you know that is a kind of a hard one to ascertain or to count you know in the kind of figures and statistics we see but nonetheless all these arrests and convictions really save lives and, uh, you know, in many ways. But looking at the kind of the bigger picture, and this is where it becomes a bit grim, um, the price of cocaine is unchanged and the amount of it coming in to Europe is still growing. Yeah, well, I mean, that, I mean, that, I think that's one of the things that I was really 
interested in looking at two years down the line is is that okay look we know that this was a huge sort of electric shock through the through the organized crime world uh, especially in Europe uh, the incro chat busts but but two years down the line um you know what impact has this had on organized crime um because we know that that um you know, um, the police, it's almost a Sisyphean task. The police, they're constantly catching, uh, you know, high-end criminals and drug dealers, but still, still, you know, crime still continues, drug, drug, drug trade still continues. So I wanted to try and understand whether there had been any sort of deep impact of this unprecedented uh, wave of, of drug busts. And so I thought, well, okay, one way of doing that is by looking at the, the drug trade itself, particularly the cocaine trade, which was the, um, you know, it was cocaine traffickers that were the, the majority of those um, prosecuted, I, I believe. Um, and, and what I found was that, that literally, um, you know, it, it probably sort of jolted the cocaine trade possibly for a sort of, you know, an hour or two or something like that. Um, whereas, you know, as, 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 as various gangs got taken out, there was a few shifts around and disruptions. But, but, but in the, to the end person buying cocaine in the street, in, in Dublin, London, Paris, Munich, wherever, um, it, it, they would not have noticed it. So they would have still have been having exact same cocaine supply, no droughts, no shortages, despite this huge wave of arrests of major cocaine traffickers around Europe. Uh, it had no effect on, very little effect on the cocaine trade. Purity uh, has actually gone up since 2018, according to um, testing done in uh, the Netherlands. Um and uh, price has not rocketed because um, obviously usually if there is a problem with drug supply, um, which obviously can come about if major gangs are taken out and supply chains are, are disrupted by police because that's why the police do it, is to disrupt drug supply chains. If, if those chains are disrupted, then what um, drug suppliers do is they either... Uh, they either uh, mix up their drugs with um, uh, other other products to 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 make them less purity, less pure, um, so they're saving money, or they increase the price. But we've we've had, I mean, no evidence of that whatsoever. So, and that's the same goes not just with cocaine, but the same goes with heroin, ecstasy, uh, speed. You know, there, there's no sign of any major disruption or deep impact of the EncroChat busts. Uh, on the European drug trade, which is sort of insane, because you know this is this is going this is the biggest ever police intelligence coup I would say in history, and probably will be the biggest ever, and it, it didn't hardly have any effects on the drug trade. It's which is mad, and that's a mark of the you know going to the very far ends of the of the the, the system. It's the supply from Colombia, which is growing all the time. And it's the demand in Europe from the likes of a guy out for a, or a woman out for a, a night's drinking who wants to uh, spice up their night with a bag of Coke. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly that is that, that the fact that, that the reason that this was not affected was that 
there is, you know, still record, year-on-year record production of cocaine in Colombia. So um, I think 2020 was 1,200 tonnes of cocaine being produced. Um, And so there's such huge sort of almost oversupply of cocaine that even if you do take out some key players um, who are importing it into to Europe or distributing it in Europe, because the supply is there literally knocking at the door waiting for someone to take it in, there will always mm-hmm. be someone wanting to take in a load of cocaine and make a huge amount of money off cocaine uh, because of the markup of the, of, of the, of the product. Um, and yes, and then right to the other end, you've still got the demand. So um, as we've uh, been seeing, you know, in the newspapers over the last four, five, ten years, you know, cocaine is becoming a more widespread and more popular and more normalised drug um, among people. You know, people sort of tend to ignore the fact that it has, you know, it's an extremely unethical product. You know, it has got sort of uh, a, a sort of a trail of blood leading back to, to Colombia. Um, and obviously, um, that is because cocaine is in the hands of organised criminals and, and gangsters. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, so in a way, you're 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 exactly right. This this electric shot through the organised crime world in in Europe was a drop in the ocean, really, compared to the larger, sort of more tectonic movements of global cocaine production and global demand for that drug. I mean, it's so difficult to know what to do about it because, you know, obviously that unethical approach that people have to it is a measure of a failing by society to attach a shame to that product where we have done with plenty of other uh, commodities that come in. And then you have the problem of the movement of goods across the world, which is so vast. I was just looking at, I mean, Rotterdam and Antwerp are our two biggest entry ports into Europe for for cocaine and for other products. But I was looking at some figures there the other day and something like 15 million containers come into Rotterdam port um, a year. So looking for the one, the banana shipment that's hiding the cocaine is like, I mean... How does a human being or dogs or any other systems do that? And particularly when the traffickers are just so inventive about how to hide it. So, you know, a simple radar system, they have, you know, usurped how to get through that. Um, And that's just Rotterdam. I mean, Antwerp is as big, if not a bigger entry port into Europe. So you have a problem that, you know, policing is kind of like weeding the middle bit and Drug dealers are going in out of prison in this revolving door system. A huge amount of resources are going into the policing of the middlemen. But it seems that the top and the bottom, the the supply and demand are being, they're carrying on regardless. Um, Even though the demanders are the ones who are paying the taxes to fund the policing, uh, you know, to try and stop it. It's just a crazy situation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it is it is a crazy situation, and um, and I know that the the UK government, for example, is going to start a, a sort of a a sort of PR campaign um, later this year, trying to convince um, people to stop using cocaine. Um, and I know that um, it has sadly actually been proven in the past that that uh, people in Europe 
um, when they're told about the damage that cocaine causes in Latin America, um, they don't really care that much. Uh, mm. They, I think they care more about things that happen, uh, it impacts in this country, um, you know, closer to home. So, um, you know, for example, you know, you know, in Ireland, you know, if 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 people are, are told that, you know, if they're buying, uh, they're buying cocaine, then that goes straight in the pockets of, for example, the Kinahan gang, who have obviously caused a lot of sort of chaos and and street executions in Dublin. That I think that resonates a lot more with people uh, than say, you know, oh some some children are dying um, in the remotest parts of the Colombian Amazon or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, mm. So, so I, th- I, think, I think the government is probably going to try and um, ramp up the sort of the local impacts of um, cocaine buying. Um, but sometimes when the government does that, it sort of tells a few porky pies. Um, so I think, it, it, you know, the government needs to be careful that if it is trying to persuade people for reasons, you know, not to use cocaine, that it doesn't start trying to sort of pretend that that people snorting cocaine is causing, say, young kids who are fourteen year old uh, stabbing each other in the streets of London, for example, um, because that is nothing to do with drugs. It's more to do with little kids having arguments over Snapchat. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, that's the, that's what's so interesting with EncroChat is you think. This is the chance that police had to... uh, And by the way, you know, I think there are huge amounts of arrests to be coming. I think Merseyside police told the Liverpool Echo that they were halfway through their sort of batch of uh, EncroChat sort of prosecution. So there's a lot more to come. But still, you know, the the EncroChat busts and the, the amazing intelligence gathered from from that it still has not been enough to sort of make a major impact. So I suppose your question is, you know, if you if you can't stop Colombian production and you can't stop demand and you certainly can't stop uh, cocaine getting from A to B because of it's coming through freight, it's coming in little boats and yachts coming across the uh, the ocean, it's coming now in in parcels, you know, all over the place, um, you know, through your letterbox. Um, so it's, it's, it's almost impossible to, to stop the distribution. So you either need to stop demand or supply or both. Now, um, there is a new president in Colombia who, who has just been voted in and he's saying all sorts of fairly interesting things about what he's going to do about uh, the cocaine trade, um, and I think he he wants to negotiate with the cocaine cartels and try and get them to climb down and and also trying to um, trying to sort of a new way of stopping the cocaine trade rather than the U.S. style way of kind of shooting as many people as possible and, and fumigating the, the, mm. the coca plant. So there is a possibility with this new guy in Colombia, I've forgotten his name, that. That, that he he may have an innovative approach which could impact or reduce uh, cocaine supply because obviously that's what the police ultimately want is you know there's no use people demanding cocaine and there's no cocaine it's like job done uh, mm-hmm. but what will, obviously what will happen if people if cocaine does get strangled at birth as it were 
um, and 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 the production goes down, then will that really stop people's desire to take a stimulant on a night out? Um, no, no, it probably won't. What that will probably mean is that people will go to use other stimulants, for example, amphetamines uh, or methadrone, um, instead. Mm-hmm. It seems to me cocaine is, you know, such the golden product, really, because there isn't also the lobby group where we have governments that will do things sporadically in relation to a PR drive to stop the the use of it. Um, there is no interested lobby group there. I mean, even the tobacco industry themselves will campaign against the illicit tobacco. Do you know there's somebody in the game who's something to gain for it, but with cocaine, there isn't there isn't anybody else there. So it's just government and it's just this constant idea that the only way forward is through policing, which obviously isn't because the police are just weeding the garden and the weeds are coming up again. And, uh, you know, probably there's, there's a much bigger... Um, process there between education and healthcare, etc., that needs to come to the table together to try and work out how to change people's mind about it. I mean, the vegan uh, vegan see, vegan industry seems to have a big lobby group there behind it. And, you know, we have stopped maybe taking, I mean, a lot of people will, will know more about palm oil than they will about the uh, the devastation caused by cocaine. And yet there isn't that that legal industry there to fund the telling of that story. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, it, it, more people should be aware of of the of the damage that, you know, the fact they're buying cocaine in the street and ha- having fun on a night out or whatever, that, you know, where does that money go and, and what, does it, what does it help support? Um, and we know that it helps support a lot of kind of misery and terror uh, and and murder um so you know people should be aware of that but i i you know i i guess the the difference is between that and you know fair trade this that and the other is that because it's illegal perhaps um people in their in their head they think oh because it's illegal it sort of doesn't. It doesn't quite matter. My 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 sort of morals go out the window because it's illegal anyway. Um, I'm not even going to think about where it's from. Whereas maybe if it was sort of if something's a legal product, maybe people think more about where it comes from. I don't quite know. It's certainly uh, maybe for minds less cynical than ours. <laughs> Um, finally, just back to the criminals, and um, I noticed you addressed in your article what they're using now for the communications. Quite interesting. They're not paying two grand for it, are they? No. Well, I mean, it, from what from what people are telling me, that um, people are some people are supposedly jumping on um, encrypted uh, messaging networks with servers outside of Europe, maybe in Dubai. So maybe sort of they are moving on to different encrypted messaging systems, which are going to be less easy to hack. But I think think most of them, from what I've heard, they're using a mixture of the the, uh, everyday encrypted uh, apps that are free that we all use, you know, things like Signal, Telegram, WhatsApp. What they're doing is they're, they're using them, but they're jumping from app to app between conversations. 
So they might start off a conversation on WhatsApp, halfway through switch to Telegram and then jump onto Signal to finish it off. So it just makes it that little bit more tricky for police um, to to kind of keep tabs on them and to, to go back and find evidence. Interesting that Dubai comes up. It seems that when it comes to criminality, all roads lead to Dubai. And uh, when we talk about the demands, we still have a huge amount of tourists from both our country and yours heading there on holidays to spend their money. So again, we don't tend to talk with our wallets um, as consumers. Uh, Max Daly, thank you very much. No problem. It was a, it was a real pleasure. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.